When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. time ago, my mother would warn me about the cracks in the world, and when I'd been particularly bad, she'd tell me the story again. It was only after multiple renditions that I began to question the objective value of what I was hearing, beginning to suspect that my mother had made it up herself, because it didn't sound like any folktale I'd ever heard, and it so clearly seemed intended as a warning to me personally. Stop being so gloomy, David. Don't dwell on things so much. Look for the positives wherever you can find them. The story goes like this. Once there was a boy who woke up one morning and saw that a great gaping crack had opened up in the wall and the window of his room, a hideous billowing black crack in the world itself, and only darkness and emptiness beyond. 
and the boy ran downstairs to tell his mother, and he saw that there was a crack in the world in the kitchen floor beneath her. So the boy yelled, Mother, can't you see it? Look out beneath you. And his mother looked beneath her, and as soon as she saw the crack in the world, she plummeted into it, screaming helplessly, and she was never seen again. A moment later, the boy's father walked in, and he asked, Where is your mother? And as soon as the boy answered, She fell into the crack in the world beneath your feet. The father saw it too, and could not help but fall, and he was never seen again. And in their time, the police came to investigate, and the ambulances, and as they demanded that the boy tell them what was wrong, why he was crying, they too were shown the cracks in the world, and they too fell. And the sickness began to spread, because as people began to see the cracks in the world, they called out to others, who could not help but fall, until the cracks were everywhere, and ate up everything, and everyone was gone. And the boy who first saw the cracks in the world, was the last one left, crouching in a corner, frightened and alone, because the world was nothing but cracks, and there was no longer anywhere safe to be, and there was no one left who could help him. To be honest, I think she might actually have misunderstood the moral of her own story, or perhaps just the application of it, because it was as if she thought this unhappy ending, this frightful possibility of finding myself alone and beyond the ken of anyone else, would be enough to fix me. But the story didn't frighten me, and if anyone was afraid, it was her. Frightened for me, because in such a neurotic, lonely, unhappy child, there could be no great success in the life to come. Frightened of me, because she created something that stopped making sense when she wasn't looking. I don't know what went wrong with you, she'd say and it felt like a complaint to life's senior manager. You used to be such a happy baby, David. As if she couldn't trace the point at which normal became irretrievably abnormal. Rio and I wake in ruins, eating scrounge leftovers in silence, bathing from the cracked pipes of an abandoned house, When we're finished, we slip back into our shoes and step out into the spitting rain, shawls wound around our heads, ready to continue our ascent. It's been two days since we've seen another living soul in a skew. It's been two days since we first began climbing. The cathedral is still above us and beyond us. In two days, it hasn't got any closer. Before us, a vast and impossible corpse. Houses piled on streets, vast and winding, like the sheddings of skin. Stairways rising upon stairways, toppling into rubble. The detail has sunk away from the city. Product fills the shelves in every window, but it is no longer clear what might be in those endless lines of identical cans. The neon lights are only light, no longer words, and they flicker and glow as if they're coming from a very far way away. There are still commuters walking amongst us, 
drifting from one place to the next. But they're less than oily shadow. Faceless, aimless figures that stream through us and around us without ever seeming to acknowledge our existence. And occasionally we come across something that truly does not belong. An old US Army truck. Its wheels and chassis bent unnaturally into twisted new shapes. Trails of black ash across the scuppered seats. Empty suits, trousers and ties, laid out over park benches. The collars, again, strewn with ash. If the city is expanding elsewhere, then we are walking now through the wake of it. The forgotten detritus of a nightmare that dances on the surface of another planet. It is dawn in askew, and it's still raining, and we are lost. Perhaps hopelessly lost, because I doubt that there'll soon be anything left here capable of being eaten by us, and as the attention to detail fades further, we may well find ourselves in a city without street lamps, or interiors, or a working sun. I am deep in the cracks of the world now, Mother. A curiosity. I'm no longer afraid. Exhausted, yes. Beaten and broken and marred. But I'm too close to the end to give any further thought to fear. Each new curve of the streets, every towering spire we ascend or dingy cellar we explore as we make our dogged way upwards, is haunted and sodden and only ours. There's nothing here capable of hurting me, only wet stone and bright sky. This must be how normal people feel when they walk in normal cities. Perhaps this place has finally changed me for the better. I say as much to Riel, and she just snorts with laughter and scoffs. Self-actualization at the end of all things. And you know what? Yes. Maybe. If all of this is coming soon to an end, then perhaps myself is the most lasting thing I can shape. She doesn't tell me to shut up. I realise I want to tell her about the tennis ball. That when I was a boy, in London and alone, and I needed to get out of the shadows of the small apartment I shared with my mother... I take flight, south into the city, running at first and then walking, making my way through empty streets, until at around 2 or 3 a.m. I would invariably come to the pure black heart of the river, and in a certain spot I'd pass, as was my ritual, buried in the pavement, a green, fluffy tennis ball, its curve just visible in the tarmac, as if some child had thrown it there while the cement was setting, and in the years or decades since, nobody had thought to dig it up and pave over the hole to make things good and flat. A tennis ball sunk in the firmament of the city. And every time I fled south through London at night, I would pray silent hopes that the tennis ball would still be there, embedded in the concrete, for me to scrape softly and reverently with the heel of my shoe as I passed it. 
Because if it was possible for something that was so odd and out of place and, practically speaking, useless to survive there, in the heart of all things, if only by being invisible to anyone who mattered, then perhaps I could endure a small and hopeless creature myself, even if only by going unnoticed. That was the place where I came to askew. In the rain, by the black churning river, my socks squelching in my rebox and tears freezing in the chill, and I was not cold and unhappy enough yet to consider returning home. I had vowed to walk all night, as I had walked many nights before. I could not endure in that home, in that kitchen where I'd have no choice but to listen, whether to the screaming or the shattering of plates, or the quiet, sour comments just loud enough to be heard. I did not want to be occupying the flimsy shelter of my room, because even when the door was closed she would come, snarling with frustration that I was not visible elsewhere to bear her insults and her comments. And when the door was locked, she would come anyway, rattling the handle, demanding admittance past the threshold. Because of course, being in my room away from her, away from anybody, was only further proof of abnormality. What's the matter with you, David? What is the matter with you? Out in the rain and the darkness, I could go unseen. I could walk forever and remain abnormal, so long as the darkness and the rain never stopped. And it was there, in the rain and in the darkness, down by the black churning river, that I turned, gazing out over inhospitable tower blocks lit in the glare of golden lampposts, and I saw an archway that I did not recall passing through before. Just an anonymous tunnel, a way forward through grey stone bricks, with a rim of dry cobble faintly visible upon the ground before the passageway sank out of sight. I had my own established circuits, of course, when it came to my nightly flight, and although I was a little curious to see what might lie at the other side of the unknown tunnel, you must understand I was also petrified by the possibility of being seen by anyone, a mugger, a policeman, my mother, anyone, who might ask me what I was doing out here so late by myself. The awful possibility that someone might try to hurt me or help me. The awful possibility of being seen. And so I walked on, ignoring the archway, travelling east towards the lights of the city, my head bowed beneath my anorak hood. And it was maybe four or five minutes later that I tilted my head up to realise, curiously, that the river was no longer on my left. Instead, I was staring up at a flat surface of grey stone, popped with moss. And as I walked, I tilted my head to the right, and again it was strange that instead of the usual shop fronts and mesh grills, I was surrounded by old grey stone, and as I glanced back to my left, the passageway wall seemed now closer, as if the street was becoming a tunnel, as if something was constricting on all sides around me. 
I stopped walking. I looked back. Somehow, I'd taken a wrong turn. Worse yet, I'd made it quite away into the darkness of the passageway without ever noticing. The shimmering lights over the Thames were visible behind me, but small now, contained in the distant archway's frame like a miniature city in a snow globe. As I watched, it darkened, and then it faded from view entirely. I turned again, with a sudden rising panic, looking forward now into the darkness of the tunnel ahead, which was only darkness, pure and silent as a swallowing mouth, and yet... and yet I could hear the rain falling somewhere beyond. Did it sound any different to the rain where I'd come from? Could I have guessed that ahead of me lay a place where nothing, least of all that awful rain, could be trusted? All I knew was that that noise meant an end to the horrid passageway, and if I could make it to the end, I could find my way again. And so I ran on, into darkness, away from home, away from my mother, on into the rain. Out of the frying pan, etc. Rio walks in the quiet beside me for a long time. And then she says, Your mother's dead, David. Oh, is all I have by way of reply. We keep climbing through the empty streets in silence. I'm not surprised. I'm a little surprised at my lack of surprise. But I think I knew. Perhaps somewhere in the twisted streets of Askew, in the greasy shop windows teeming with a multitude of shrieking faces like holes in drawn sheets, I must have seen her face. I'm sorry, Rio says, and she means it kindly. I don't know what happened between you, but I can tell you that from what I saw, she, she loved you, she missed you. She sent me to look for you, David. I don't contradict her. I don't tell her that she didn't know the quiet, cold fury of my mother. That if she did want to find me, it was only because she couldn't bear the thought of her disappointment playing out against an empty apartment for the rest of her life. My mother had been staring at the cracks in the world all her life, and she hated the fact of a son who was too unhappy and too frighteningly abnormal to help her paper the cracks back over. Perhaps the hurt and the horror in that flat on the 14th floor, that flat which has echoed and bled into every inch of a skew as I know it, deserves to be forgotten. Instead I say, thank you for looking for me. Thank you for finding me. And my God, I mean it. We resume our ascent in silence. And then, a moment later, we stop. Because, quite unexpectedly, we find that we're standing at the top of the hill, gazing up over the empty cobbles with no more steps above us left to climb, the rooftops ducking fearfully down in every direction. We've made it to the pinnacle of a skew, to the one place I could never get to. 
only only the cathedral isn't there anymore. Instead, that great glass dome and tower is filled with bright balconies and white curtains fluttering in the rain. There are hanging golden lanterns over the foyer. Hotel Grand Basilica, the sign says. Beneath it, a rather cruder and hurriedly scrawled sign reads, Apologies, certain quality standards may not be met due to continued war effort. The great glass doors are open in invitation, and a single still figure in black uniform is waiting for us on the steps. Impossibly tall, a top hat underneath its arm, the inky depths and chalky whites of its face drifting gently in the breeze. We don't approach it. Briel says, How do we know if it's safe? We don't. We exchange glances. Then, together, we walk forward, up the steps, past the low bow of the thing that is not a doorman, over the final threshold. The thing at the front desk is not a receptionist, but it looks happy to see us. Its face billows in and out of approximate humanity, but no matter where it geographically appears, there's always a grin. You're booked in for the one night, it tells us. Just the one, and then the car will be coming first thing in the morning to pick you up. Dinner is included with compliments, so we hope you'll eat with us tonight. The thing slides two tarnished key fobs over the front desk towards us. You're in room six, madam, it tells Rio. It's one of our superior rooms on the third floor. And you, sir, you're in... I know, I reply. Room 14. The hotel room is small, but comfortable. There are golden lamps shaped like lilies in elegant golden sconces. A single bright orange bulb opening out from the inside. There's nothing waiting for me under the bed, and when I look in the mirror I see the face of, I suppose, a man. Muddied and wide-eyed, his cheeks drawn, his eyes sunken, his hair prematurely tinting into silver around the edges. Nothing else. I go to the curtains and draw them back. The balcony door is already ajar. There's no breeze. Just formless black beyond the balcony rail. For a moment I think the street lamps must have gone out, but then I realise that there's something solid about the black beyond the balcony rail. There's no texture there. No shadow or shape. It's as if a skew has been peeled back. All of it, but this final stop at the top of the hill. And I'm gazing out into the void. Into an absolute absence. I open the door a fraction wider, then think better of it and retreat, sliding it shut behind me. Clothes have been laid out for me on the bed. Clearly I'm expected to dress for dinner. I will not comment on the implications of the funereal black of the suit, and as I lift the jacket I note the extra sleeves slopping back and forth, the tie that seems too long for a human neck, 
the general sense that this has been cut for someone who is no longer shaped like me. The shirt and trousers are fine and crisp at least. I shower, and the hot water streaming down my face feels as real and as glorious as anything in my experience. And I change while I wasn't before I depart. Streets have faded, sad and malleable flesh has fled from me. There is only darkness now, only darkness, and as I swoop and flutter, the oozing thickness of the darkness fills the space around me, trying to hem me in, petrol trying to swallow me or change me. But I have danced too long in the city, the dance must continue. And as I swoop and flock and swarm, I see in the depths a golden square, a window, growing larger, or perhaps closer, I come. The glass is nothing to me, all things can be altered. I come close, and I find my way in, I find my way out. Rio meets me in the lobby. Askew attempted to dress her too, it seems because she's kept her long coat on, but she's torn one long strip of black silk raggedly from somewhere and used it as a headband, and a second strip is around her waist to hold her ripped coat in place. Silently, we walk to our final dinner. The restaurant is glittering, crystal glasses beneath a crystal roof, lit by chandeliers like fountains. Silver platters moving back and forth in the arms of chalk-faced waiters that are filling in the gaps in the absence of anything human. We're shown to a table. We sit, examining the empty white menus with polite interest. Chalk-faced things in waiters' suits bring us empty bowls and plates, and then larger, empty plates, whisking them away after apparently random passages of time. Around us, other diners are celebrating. We made it! I can't believe we made it. After all these years. Their faces are pale, phantom flesh and bone. The light passes through them. Perhaps we look as faint as they do. It's the war, a woman says from the table beside us. The city's fighting a war. That's what I heard on the radio. It doesn't need us anymore. That's why it's moving on. Just one last night, her companion murmurs. And then we can move on. A shadow grasps me by the hand, beaming through an empty face. It takes me a moment to recognise him. We made it, David, Kenneth says. My God, but we made it through the terror and the pain and the changes. And can you believe that all it took was patience? If I'd only understood, if I'd only had the wisdom to see it, there was light at the end of the tunnel. It would have all been so much easier... If only we'd had patience. His fingers keep slipping through mine. He's kept his shape, but there's no detail to him anymore. I can't wait, he whispers, and I can hear his voice weakening as he speaks. I can't wait to see what comes next. After dinner, Rio and I take our seats at the bar tilting our empty glasses, gazing out into the unmade darkness beyond the hotel. Do you think they're right? I ask her. Is this it? Has it let us go? Do you think it's capable of letting us go? She asks me archly, and I know at once that the answer is of course no. 
that Askew cannot contemplate a soul who could exist beyond it. But if it has not freed us, then it's forgotten us. It's moved on to fresh territories and greater things, and no longer has the energy even to continue tormenting those it's left behind. Rio drinks from her empty glass and returns it to the drifting, grinning bartender. How does that make you feel, she says, if Askew has forgotten you? Like the final insult, I think, and say nothing. Behind us, the last spectral survivors of this city are waltzing, crying out their triumph and excitement for the real life, the real meaning that they've earned through their suffering, everything that's to come next. Their voices are ever more soft, ever more imperceptible. Their voices are like rain. Well, if nothing else, Rio tells me, we faced it, right? You faced it. Everything it had to throw at you all this time, you endured. That has to count for something. Not quite everything, I think. And I know that my thoughts echo in the halls of this place, that it's the quickest way of opening up my head and letting the horror in, but I can't help myself. I think of my reflection, in the mirror that stood in dusty and forgotten rooms over twisting streets. I think of one final shadow that fled from me. Hey, my companion says suddenly, and it takes me a moment to realise that she's addressing the thing that is not a bartender before us. Its empty eyes meet hers. Yes, madam, it asks her through a motionless, grinning mouth. So, Rio says, we've got a car coming to pick us up in the morning. Do you know where that's headed, exactly? Any chance we could find that out? The thing gazes from her, to me, to her again. Where it's headed. Exactly, Rio replies. Is that written down, or is there someone we can check with at the front desk? The thing is silent for some time, and I am just feeling the first new tremor of fear that this should not have been asked that this prodding at the bounds of askew cannot be permitted, even now. But then it answers us, simply. Where do you want to go? We chew on that for a while. We can't trust it, Riel says. I mean, obviously, we can't trust it. This is your experience, right? It is. Where would you want to go? She asks me a moment later. Where would you want to go from here? I tell her it's best not to say it out loud. Best not to risk it. How about you? Do you have somewhere left to go from here? All things being possible, she says. I think I do. A person... Not a place. Let's hold on to these endings, I say. And I raise my empty glass in a toast. No matter what comes tomorrow, let's keep our last refuges in our hearts. 
I don't know how to tell her that there's nothing left for me. I'm not dreaming of a quiet sanctuary anymore. I don't think it would stay untainted. And I don't want to go back to the places where I was abnormal, and the nightmares were still real, but all in my head. When I think of tomorrow, all I can think of is the unmade darkness beyond the walls of the hotel. The silence passed askew. But one final lie, one final pretense of ordinariness can only do so much damage. I let my eyes soften, my chin slacken, as if I too am imagining my happy ending, and I raise my glass to meet my friends. When I return to my room, the bed is soft enough to swallow me. I lock the door, lie there, gazing up at the ceiling, marvelling at this one small moment of peace. A breath. I close my eyes. I dream. The rain patters gently above me. It takes me a moment to realise it's louder than it should be. I sit up, slowly. The balcony door is open again. I closed it, I know I closed it, but now it's ajar, just by a sliver. There's no breeze, and the darkness beyond the railing is as still and as empty as it's ever been. But there are footprints. Naked human footprints, oily and black, staining the stone of the balcony, the carpet of the bedroom, trailing along the floor and around the bed. Footprints. I get up slowly and follow them with my eyes. The footprints enter the bathroom door and vanish. Okay. Options. The bathroom door is between me and the exit. To get out of here safely, I'll need to walk right past it, then open the door. Fleeing into the unmade darkness beyond the hotel is, of course, unthinkable. Whatever's out there, whatever is left after a skew, is unlikely to be hospitable. And there's not much here that could serve as a weapon, either. Detachable gilt lamps on either side of the bed, a couple of fountain pens on the desk, coat hangers, possibly? I don't want to die after all of this trying to defend myself with a coat hanger, and in the end this alone is what leads me to pick up the lamp, weighing it in my hand. It feels awfully light. Rio would know what to do, I think, and then inspiration strikes me as a second as I lunge for the bedside phone and dial her room number. An unpleasant tone. A voice that says, calmly and discordantly, We regret that due to redirection of materials for the war effort, certain aspects of your experience may now be missing. We apologise for any inconvenience caused. The line goes dead. Alone again, then? Nothing for it. Gingerly, clutching the lamp in my hand, I walk to the bathroom door, craning my head around the threshold, ready for ready for nothing. 
The shower curtain is drawn back, just as I left it. The bathroom is empty. There's no place to hide, and I catch the eye of my reflection, embarrassed. has kept its shambolic illusion of entirety, has not unmade the city as I have, reshaping flesh and concrete and bone into fresh symphony and structure, has not been unmade by the darkness that swallows all things, in the wake of some great impossible beast turning its gaze and moving on to new feeding grounds, leaving the earth barren and the scavengers starving, my home leaving me here, alone to howl in the darkness, alone I will not be left behind, alone. I will unmake it. And it spills forth through the splintering glass of the mirror, my reflection, silhouetted and faint, its hands grasping at my throat as I go falling back. back. It was when there streets and lights and lonely creatures and so much to be reshaped, I will take us back. A lurching thing of two minds, blinking eyes, two bodies, one body. I will not lose. I'm choking on the bathroom floor as I gaze up into a glaring and gaunt face. My shadow's face, livid with a satisfaction and pleasure that I have never known as it squeezes the life right out of me. And my limbs keep thrashing, because that's what they're designed to do as the oxygen is starved out of us. But it is now that I find myself, curiously, awash in feelings of impending peace. This is where it finally ends. This is where I can stop running. There's nothing lurking in the shadows beyond. Nothing worse than this will ever happen to me. My reflection's grip tightens. It can see my eyelids flickering. It must feel the fight going out of me as I struggle less and my hands claw more feebly at its hands and it begins to shiver with excitement, twisting its neck ever closer, crooning at me in my own voice. Just a little farther, yes, just a little farther, not far to go now, just a little farther, yes, been so tired and so frightened and so alone, but here's an end to it, yes, an end to it at long last. I am so tired. I am so frightened. Its grip feels so certain. Like a finish line. Perhaps it's only its grin that stops me. That drawn, malevolent grin across my own reflection's face. The glint of resolution in its eye. I've always been stubborn. And why, after all, should my worse half get to be satisfied when I am not? I grasp its ear between my teeth, and I rip. There's no pain, but as it staggers back, shrieking, I can feel a tingling at the side of my own face. A sudden numbness and its screams are echoing only through my other ear. We stand, staring at each other in disbelief, I and the one thing I birthed in askew. I'm damned if I'll leave here with this intact. I tackle it, as hard as I can, and together we go careening back over the threshold and into the bedroom cabinets, but as the wood splinters all around us, I lose my grip on it and we come apart. My reflection spills from the darkness. It claws furiously at my wrist, and as I pull away, its fingers crumble into ash. My fingers are crumbling into ash. I gaze at my stump of a hand in absolute disbelief. I'm coming apart, and it doesn't even hurt. And then my phantom is upon me again, gripping me in a murderous embrace around my throat, and we dance and grapple and bite, fragments of ourselves fleeing and crumbling from us, and as skin and flesh fades, there are no longer any barriers to how much we can hurt one another. Our faces sink into each other, 
my teeth tear at shadow one last time. And then the door bangs open behind us. We both turn, and we can see Rio standing there. She glances only once. She is not afraid, but furious. She snatches up the lamp from the floor and marches forward towards us, raising it over her head like a baton. My reflection screeches in fury, lunging from me forth towards her, substanceless now as smoke. No, I think no, you don't get to hurt her. And with all of my last strength, I wrap my arms around it and haul us both backwards with all of my weight. My friend yells out, David! My shadow and I go through the window together. In the silence that follows, I stand alone for a while in the broken glass and amongst the broken things, in a hotel that should not exist, beyond a city that has abandoned its own reality. What should I tell you? I could say that I feel robbed, that I came here in search of someone who needed rescuing, that I failed, that I found a fellow passenger, but parts of his darkness would always be beyond me. I could say I feel afraid, because I am alone again now, and in the morning I will leave for somewhere new. Despair. I should probably land on despair. Because a long time ago, I lost the love of my life. Next, I lost the mother who hired me. Then I lost her boy. A life of chasing shadows into depths unknown. And yet what I feel, as I sit heavily on the carpet in the empty room, is hope. A small and stupid hope in the face of everything that's happened and everything that's yet to come. David, I hope that you know I don't resent you for leading me into all of this. I hope that even if you're gone, you went out believing that we were making progress towards someplace better. I hope that it mattered, having someone beside you in the dark. I sit there, alone with my hope, and I wait for the last dawn to come. I can hear my other half screaming as the darkness swallows him, swallows us both. His eyes are glints in the black for one instant, and lost the next. I float alone in the darkness. Once there was a body to cage me in. Now there's only tattered remnants of organ and bone spinning around me. Now only a faint residue, the fading silhouette of head and limbs. Now not even that. I am not afraid. These were always the parts of myself that I least feared losing. Slowly, like any novice testing out an entirely new discipline, I rise up out of the ruins of myself, 
hovering in the black. A bird in darkness, a fainted motion in the dead and primordial forest. A new thing amongst the old. I fly unseen, swooping through the black beyond askew, diving and ducking too fast for the darkness to swallow. I'll always be too fast so long as I don't stop. I'll never stop. Wait. There's a light beneath me in the darkness. Two lights. Golden headlamps in a driveway. Below, the Hotel Grand Basilica has been reduced to facade. Just crumbling wall propped up against nothing. Broken glass that's staining with mud and moss and a balcony rail dangling loose from the wall as if from some long-forgotten fight. This is all that's left of a skew in the darkness, and soon there'll be nothing at all. It must be morning down there, because as I watch, I see my friend Rio step out in fresh travelling clothes with a suitcase clasped in her hand. The car is waiting for her, a great black car with a thing in driver's uniform to open the back seat, and I can see her mouth move as she tells it her next destination. I don't hear the words. I don't want to. But she hesitates. You came so far for me, I think. You helped me through it. Go no further. Don't look back. And yet she hesitates, and she turns. Her eyes cast up and down the ruined façade, searching for something. My friend is tired, and she is wounded. But suddenly she tilts her head, and she smiles. May we each, she says aloud, find the one thing we're looking for. And as my friend steps into the car, I'm laughing in flight, I'm laughing in joy as the vehicle pulls away into the black, its headlights shining their path onwards to new things. I'm laughing because we both made it out in the end, just as well as we could. I fly on, like a dolphin chasing a ship through still waters. I fly on, saluting my friend and her victory, watching the headlights dwindle and fade below until they are entirely lost to me. I fly on, into my darkness, and whatever awaits me next. I can't carry on with my despair. No matter what I face, no matter what I become, hope will come bubbling out like tar from beneath the cracks inside me. I can't carry on with my hope, because there will be no happy resolution in the endless worlds beyond the world I knew. And there is no greater kindness, and my road in the darkness has no ending. I think I'll carry on. I think I'll carry on.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.